Before today's interview, I wanted to ask a small favour, really small one, I promise. I got a message from one of my listeners over the weekend letting me know that they had nominated Climbing Consulting for the Listener's Choice Award at the British Podcast Awards 2018. This award is voted for by podcast listeners like you and goes to the podcast who get the most votes from their listeners before the 12th of May this year. As this listener was kind enough to vote for me and for Climbing Consulting, I decided the least I could do was have a go at this award and see where we can get Climbing Consulting to. And to do this, I need your help. If you've enjoyed any of these podcasts, please could I ask you to take a moment to vote for Climbing Consulting for the Listener's Choice Award at the British Podcast Awards 2018. It's really easy to do, and here's how you do it. Step one, go to your browser, pick your phone up right now or on your desktop if you're at work, and type bit.ly forward slash CIC vote, all in little letters, really important, that bit, and that's bit.ly forward slash CIC vote. That will take you to the Listener's Choice Award nomination form on the British Podcast Award website, and that takes you to step two. On that form where it says search for podcast, type Climbing Consulting, and select that as the podcast you want to vote for. At least, I hope you want to vote for Climbing Consulting. Step three, enter your name, enter your email, and hit vote. That's it. Thanks in advance to those of you who have listened to that and are off to vote straight away. Thanks so much to those of you who have already voted. I really appreciate it. It really means a lot to get your feedback. And thanks a lot for helping with this. Please do let me know if you voted for Climbing Consulting, if you've just enjoyed Climbing Consulting, anything and everything, drop me a message. It's nick at climbingconsulting.com. Hi there. And welcome to another episode of Climbing Consulting with me, your host, Nick Sinnott. Before I introduce today's guest, I wanted to remind you about the latest feature of the podcast that I'm trialing. If you don't have time to listen to the whole interview, but still want to hear the advice of my guests, I've added a really useful section to the show notes for you. If you open the full description of the podcast on your phone, you can now see the list of questions that I asked today's guest, along with the point in the podcast where I asked them. So you can jump straight to the section you want to listen to if your time's short, or if you've listened to the whole interview and just want to jump back to that critical piece of advice, you can now go straight to it. I do hope you find this useful. Please let me know. Drop me an email at nick at climbinconsulting.com and just let me know what you think. In today's episode, I sit down with Simon Dennis, co-founder of Gate One. Gate One are an award-winning business transformation consultancy who specialize in digital, operating model, and people change. Since founding the business, Gate One have grown rapidly, going from an idea to £25 million cumulative revenue in just their first five years. I first met Simon when I was at a bit of a crossroads in my career, and I was deciding between whether to stay in consultancy or pursue a startup idea that I had. Gate One's approach and their internal startup incubator really grabbed my attention and I wanted to find out more. I ended up pursuing the startup idea, sadly unsuccessfully, but Simon and I have stayed in touch ever since and I've been fortunate enough to have a ringside seat as Gate One has grown. We cover lots of different topics in the interview today, including how and why Simon and his co-founders started Gate One, Gate One's unique ripple approach to consultancy, what you should think about if you're looking to make the move from big consultancy to a small one, and the Gate One Startup Incubator 
and why it's a core part of their business. We actually spent so much time talking about these topics that we timed out, and I didn't get a chance to ask Simon how you could get in touch with him if you had any questions. I followed up with him after the interview, and I'm pleased to say he's happy for you to get in touch. So if you want to find out more about Gate One, you can find them at www.gateone.co.uk. And if you want to reach out to Simon, go to LinkedIn and you'll find him on there. I had a great time catching up with Simon, and I'm sure you'll enjoy what he has to say. So without further ado, please enjoy my conversation with Simon Dennis. Hi, Simon. Welcome to the podcast. Hi, Nick. So good to be back here. You've climbed a couple of floors. Has the team grown quite a bit? I see a lot of new hires on LinkedIn. It seems like everything's going very well at Gate One at the moment. <laughs> yeah, we're definitely in growth mode. So, well, interesting symmetry. We started in this building in the smallest office they had us, had to offer, and we're now in the biggest office they have in the building. So, um, yeah, we've nearly nearly outgrown this space. Uh, so we're at well, just just gone past sixty consultants now. Wow, it really has going. Because so, I know, and just for context for my listeners, I mean, we we obviously met 2015. I was considering what to do, looking at staying in consulting, going off and doing my own venture. And I remember coming across yourselves, your website. We'll get into all of this, but I, your firm looked very different. You know, little things like the startup awards, the uh, incubator program that obviously has gone on and evolved. Mm. I saw you've you've been nominated for more awards. What, what are those? Yeah, well, actually, just on the way to to come and talk you today I was reflecting on where we first met and um, I don't know if I ever told you one of the first people who applied to us to uh, to one of our adverts that we put out <laughs> no, to we put out there who, who didn't know anybody in the team uh, at all and or well, we didn't even have an office at the time as you said and meeting up in various bars and and uh, cafes to, to conduct shabby interviews so we've definitely come a long way since then but uh, interesting symmetry that you're now the one interviewing me on the other side of the <laughs> Yes, the award is is fantastic uh, for us. So recently found out um, we're finalists for three MCA awards, uh, Management Consultant Association. So kind of bided our time before joining that um, that outfit, yeah. um, which I guess is something we we can get into. Um, so having having sort of taken the time and finally paid our subs and been accepted, um, you know, it's fantastic news that we've. Uh, you know, we've been shortlisted so quickly. Yeah, definitely. Um, what are the, what are the three awards that you've been shortlisted for? They are uh, so we've been shortlisted for the Change Project of the Year. Uh, that's in conjunction with EasyJet. Uh, so I'm very proud to have taken them through a, a pretty hairy, uh, complex transformation over the last eighteen months or so. Um, we've also been nominated for the Client Service and Value Award, which is. Uh, which is you know fantastic. Really speaks to a lot of what we're trying to do uh, in our space. And by virtue of those two nominations, we're in the category for best new consultancy. So although we're coming on for five years old, you know, first year in MCA, he's kind of qualifies us for that. And um, yeah, but I guess it's a big big deal, you know, amongst yeah, your uh, sort of peers and in, in the industry. So who knows, you know, what happens on the night? But you know, it's great uh, great moment to to be in all three. Yeah, well, fingers crossed for you. When when's the awards announced? The awards evening is the end of April, so we'll find out on the night. And just going through the process of interviews and, and pitching at the moment. Oh, brilliant. Well, I mean, obviously, I'll keep my eye out. This episode, I think, will be out just before then. But for anyone okay. listening, go and check out the Gate One website, and you can see how how Simon and the guys did. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> everyone everyone can do a rain dance or something between now and then. <laughs> 
For those people who maybe don't know you as well, could you give a brief overview of your background and how you got to where you are today? Sure. So I guess I did the the classic consulting career journey if you don't become a big firm partner. Um, I did the other route, which is uh, going progressively smaller. So I did uh, five years uh, at a global consultancy. So I was at Deloitte for um, for that time. Had a range of great experiences there, multi-sector, um, some very, very diverse projects, programs I worked on there. Worked on the Oyster launch and did a stint working for the managing partner, which was, which was really insightful. So good times there. I then, just at the point when it was time to go out into industry and, and do something different, uh, had the opportunity to follow a colleague of mine, Dom Morehouse, who I know is another guest of yours from, from this series, who'd recently started up uh, Morehouse Consulting. So found that proposition too intriguing to decline. Um, so followed Dom a little while after he'd started, ended up staying there for seven years and taking that organization on you know, a really interesting growth journey and really sort of honed my craft as a consultant during that period and, you know, understood what it took to go on that journey, build a business. And, you know, I got, I got pretty close to the inner workings of, of, of the whole enterprise uh, by the time I left and then doing my own thing. So with myself and my co-founders, we started the business, yeah, as I say, going on for, going on for five years ago. Mostly it's been a really positive story. So yeah, I've been a consultant for, um, for going on for 18 years now, still uh, looking, looking to be doing a proper job that uh, <laughs> I always thought I'd be doing. But uh, Yeah. So it's, uh, it's been an interesting journey. Obviously Dom has been a previous guest on, on the podcast as my listeners well, will know. He, he built Morehouse, sold Morehouse. I think you were there for a little bit longer afterwards. What was it that led you and your co-founders to to set up Gate One? You know, you're obviously quite senior at Morehouse. What was it that made you decide to go out on your own at that time? Good question. And it was definitely a, a real fork in the road moment. Mm. So a lot of it was definitely some unfinished business from Morehouse days. So there was something of a push factor in terms of the new era post Dom and, you know, other other founding directors stepping away, new leadership team, new ideas, different set of values as well, I'd say. And um, sort of directionally the business quite quickly going to new places that weren't necessarily in keeping with where we might have taken the organization. So that was a big part of it. The kind of strategy was clearly shifting and moving back towards, you know, what we perceived to be more building a, a mini big firm, mm. classic sort of leverage model, you know, pyramid structure, um, a different direction, you know, moving yeah. into a different space, you know, and, and away from the really high value end, top end, complex, you know, senior, difficult change. So I don't want to overplay that too, because the much bigger part of it was was clearly the pull factor of ourselves and our own motivations and our own ideas for, for what we would do if, if we were to start our own consultancy. So the genesis of the idea might have been born out of you know some of those some of those quite difficult times actually, but mm. we were really clear that if if we did decide to go down this path and start again, that we were going to do that from a from a basis of investing positive energy. And over the course of the you know seven years I was at Morehouse, that was very predominantly a hugely positive experience, and we learned a huge amount that we we felt we could reinvest, but also do our own way and, and not not do the journey better, but definitely do it differently. Yeah. Um, do you remember how how those conversations first started? Because there's obviously yourself and your other three co-founders, so four of you, were you just all in the pub one day and said, 
why don't we give this a go? Did one of you tap another on the shoulder? He tapped another on the shoulder. Do you remember how that sort of first came about? It's really hard to probably pinpoint a precise moment. You know, inevitably, the kind of germs of these ideas start long before. Um, and we all left it at slightly different times and for slightly different reasons. Oh, so you'd, you'd actually left at this point. You'd gone and, I don't know, were you contracting in between or sort of doing another project role in between? Yeah, there was a, a bit of a bridging period. Mm. So... Um, so we all decided different things, but um, but personally, I spent a period of a few months doing some independent work whilst, you know, in the period after we'd all left, then there was some background work to try and get the business off the ground. And a lot of the sort of formative thinking about, like you said, why are we doing this? What are we going to stand for? You know, what's really important to us and, you know, early thinking into the brand and those kind of things and really were happening long before the business was was trading. Yeah. So there was there was definitely quite a long genesis or you know embryonic state of the business before um, you know b- before we formally incorporated and, and and were sort of trading and and working under that under under the new brand. Yeah, and and do you remember what those elements were that, like you said, you wanted to do it sort of not better but differently? You wanted to put your own mark on it. What were those? core elements that you and your co-founders were were talking about then and how have those influenced the firm as you've grown it massively and i think that goes right to the heart of I, you know i really look back on that period and 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 figuratively feel like we you know we we took the the blue pill over the red pill you know yeah. in that in that moment and and having taken that very deliberate decision and been so close not to taking that decision mm. we absolutely wanted to have this no regrets mentality with everything that we did yeah. And you only can truly embody that ethos if every single day, you know, you're maintaining those standards of excellence, you're taking on the problems that people tell you are impossible, you're holding each other to account in terms of your, you know, your your professional standards, but your your behaviors in and um ultimately there's, you know, we've tried to retain this innate sense of journey in what we're doing. So Yes, we wanted to be disruptive and yes, we wanted to do things a bit differently as much for our own motivation in that moment as because we thought there was a market need. I mean, yeah. nobody would tell you there's a market need for doing the incubator, for example, but that was something we really wanted to do for us um, as one example of what we've done differently. But really in, t- in terms of kind of the, the core essence of the business, which is what you're asking about, it was really about this enshrining a sense of limitless possibility in anything that we do, be that with the the client work that we take on, the people that we bring in, the businesses that we're going to spawn. We really wanted to have that no regrets mentality with all of it. And that has to come. You have to live and breathe that every day, I guess. You can't just say that. And, uh, you know, and similarly, anyone who comes on this journey with us for however long they stay, we really want them to share that same sense of journey and be the best they can be, meaning giving of themselves you know to the maximum every day and put simply them you know the more you put in the more you get out and that's what we try to do all of the time i'm interested because i I think it potentially applies not just to people starting their own firm but even just making career moves you 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 mentioned that it almost so you know it so nearly didn't happen do you remember the decision point or the you know the decision process that led to you deciding to do it or led to you and your co-founders deciding to go for it so it was i think in a large part of why we decided to go for it was the collective endeavor so all of us have been consultants for a, for a long time 
God knows in my case, it was, it was time to do something a bit more, <laughs> um, a bit, a bit more grown up probably at that, uh, you know, at that point, or maybe, maybe one day in the future, any one of us could have given ourselves hundreds of reasons why not to do it. You know, mm. starting again, having done, you know, a very significant long journey in, in Morehouse days was going to require huge amounts of grit, energy, resilience. We, we knew what we were getting ourselves in for. So you don't do that lightly. But had it been left to any single one of us, I highly doubt that we would have started our own consultancy organization. Or speaking for myself, I definitely wouldn't. And even though we all had very young families at the time, and you can kind of hear that voice in the back of your head screaming, "This is this is crazy," you know, you've you know, time to move onwards and upwards, not as some would say, go back back to the beginning. So it was really that commitment to each other. We were all in that stage at more or less the same time. We had similar reference points of what great looked like, similar reference points of how quickly those things can unravel. We'd been through the bumps in the road of, of building a business. We felt we could, we were really well placed to anticipate those and be successful. And we and we genuinely saw gaps in the market that were different too. So it was really, if I boil it, the answer to your question down to one thing, it was really that collective endeavor. And as soon as you're in something with others, you know, as with anything, personal training or you know any anything where you co-invest someone else into your into your goals you know you, you multiply the chance of success so I think that's probably my answer but what took much more resolve was sticking with it actually so how so well I think for all for all the reasons that we backed ourselves to to be successful and you know the points of our career we were at and our networks and and all of those aspects which which are really important it was still tremendously hard to get off go and the number of near misses we had the number of rejections we had you know for for all our sort of personal capital in consultancy that we delivered to a huge number of you know senior people that we backed ourselves to to, to give us more work it still takes something extra to get a client or a prospective staff member or associate to to come on board something that has literally no no track record as an entity yeah and we'd had so many close calls that we felt were real bankers and inevitably it tests your resolve and so there was definitely there's definitely a moment i vividly remember a few months into post that decision to really go for this when we we were kind of sat in a pub you know fairly gloomy faced to be to be fair and you know honestly looking at each other and going have we great that we've tried this, but, you know, is, is this going to work? And w- were we unrealistic in our expectations? And I think at that moment we gave ourselves, you know, one final push to really make it happen as a kind of final make or break. And fortuitously or not fortuitously, that, that was really when things started to happen. And once we got our first break and our first, you know, meaningful sale, momentum built really quickly. And I, I think that point about, perseverance is a key point and like you say you could have given up before you even started you couldn't given up in that pub and all gone off and you know done different things and actually that that perseverance obviously paid off and you know we're sitting here sort of five years later talking about the awards you won so it presumably is paying off you know which is great really great to hear I'm interested especially starting a new consulting firm Consulting is a very competitive industry. There's a lot of good quality firms out there. You mentioned you know, you had seen some gaps in the market. What were those gaps that you were targeting to, to make Gate 1 different? 
And that could be market service gaps or client side might be you saw a different model for doing something internally. What, what were those key gaps that you saw for gate one? I think you touched on some of the fundamental points because I'd be lying if I said we gate one have, have this, you know, unique service line totally nailed that no one's ever discovered. You know, that's simply not the case. And where some companies are genuinely is, but we think our industry is still fundamentally underserved. You know, the clients who purchase consultancy are still fundamentally underserved. There's some phenomenal work that that happens in, you know, in, in, in all sorts of sectors, but the level of trust, skill, satisfaction is is way short of what it could be, given the expertise and kudos of practitioners in our in our space. So really we we felt and having seen what was successful previously bringing the way we consulted with our clients was was the real gap in a way that was consciously different from particularly the you know the big four you know, in an easy target right but um all having had personal experience of those kind of environments and seeing the agenda of one's clients inevitably coming into conflict with the agenda of those big firms and in such a way that any pretense of being an independent advisor is is impossible. That's the starting point for what clients really need and really value, especially as capability for changing and transforming organizations is is building all of the time, you know, in, in every business, everywhere, right? So not only do we have to raise our game continually, but what's really valuable is where clients can come in and be that catalytic effect you know, working in, we call it the ripple effect is kind of our internal um, language for that, but small teams making a concerted difference in in such a way that the ripples of what they're doing is felt much broadly across the organization. It's never about us, but it is about the change that we start, you know, and the snowballs that we, that we start, you know, rolling. And that kind of, that kind of concept embodies a lot of things, but the energy, the passion, the cultural sensitivity with which we work and you know just fundamentally it's that personal touch and emotional intelligence so if you add in one package which we seek to do with each person who works in our business never mind collectively really high skill levels as a consultant deep expertise in you know whatever the project or sector context is and just phenomenal eq and an empathy yeah. who understands the full life cycle of transformation. And then you get those people working together in teams. That's fundamentally the proposition. And if you're true to where that bar is with everybody you try to bring into your team and the the character fit and the cultural fit and the values fit with those individuals, that's, I think, what the ultimate USP is of what we're trying to do. And of course, we need to have a very specific viewpoint on what's happening in, in lots of different spaces. And we need to be very on trend with enhancing and, and utilizing different technologies and those kind of things. However, the fundamental USP for us always has been and always will be that, that the package that you you get in every individual who's, who's part of the team and that's what's most powerful and that's the feedback that we get from, from our clients repeatedly. Yeah, and I, I'm interested and in, like you say, the podcast isn't intended to be, nor is it a pro-small, anti-large consultancy. I will be having guests from the large consultancies as well. I just To your point there, how do you find recruiting people that, that fit that model? I, you know, I know you have recruited from the, the bigger firms. 
do you find there's a an education piece or do you do you find you're able to recruit people in your mold who have just maybe are in the wrong place i guess there's two parts to that there's there's what you need to tap into to prize them out of or snap them out of, of, <laughs> of, of, of kind of where they are and open their eyes to to another another possibility and then there's actually the decompression that yeah. comes with in the early days of, of kind of moving from that environment to to one like ours which you know 60 odd people but we you know we're still significantly you know many 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 times smaller than um you know than, than the big four or you know hundreds of other firms so even if you get the motivation exactly right that's not going to happen on on, on day one there's, there's always an, an adjustment period and you, you take away many of the comforts you know of of, of those organizations yeah um so to come back to the first part of the question i think you know fundamentally it's it's still i believe a a rich seam of hugely talented people and, and we to be clear we don't only recruit from the big four but let's say that might be a classic uh, yeah. classic mold um, and certainly in terms of the psyche it's people who are hugely talented have rich experience already know they want to be consultants they're that's the work that they want to do and they haven't and found a real job either yet they haven't found a real job either <laughs> yeah exactly so most people get into consulting because they want the variety. They want yeah. to be pushed. They want to be stretched continually. And the irony of, let's say, many environments of some big fours is they seek to narrow your experience as quickly and as early as possible such that you become a very sellable, deployable specialist in one field. And often that happens by a thousand cuts and you end up not having the variety that we've all sought in the first place. So genuinely, I believe we offer a richer more diverse path that's more in keeping with what many talented people got into consulting for in the beginning you know we, yeah. we are compelled to deploy our team very flexibly across lots of different industry sectors but also i think that's what most consultants you know want or still want even you know four or five or more years in, into their journeys and, and i think that's what clients value as well is that mm. diversity of experience and bringing external views and what's happening in other sectors, you know, lots of these things emerging. So to boil down my sort of rallying cry to those individuals, it, it's kind of this autonomy, mastery, purpose piece, you know, to, to quote, to quote Dan Pink and, and I've written about some of this as well, but um, liberating talent yeah. from big organizations and, and providing them with an environment that really helps them to achieve their potential because they're unconstrained by, lots of the the factors and environmental factors in, in those kind of organizations, giving them their own space to own their own role to play and helping to build an organization that's different from what they've seen before mastery of their craft, because they're working always on the next hardest thing. This hasn't been done before. I've got to bring all of my expertise, all of my, every different project I've worked on to solve this specific problem. That's, that's unique to this client that's how you achieve mastery in our field, not from doing the same thing over and over and over and over again, you know, and, and purpose, I think is something that, well, very important to us and, you know, often, and I think the, the partner model fundamentally is quite at odds with an organization that has a fundamental purpose. And for us, you know, it's, it's very much about this change that counts, you know, yeah. make, making the difference. And that's having nailed our colors to that mass, you know, we, we've, we've got to be true to that. Um, all of the time back to what i was saying earlier so for people who are i'm sure many of my listeners are from big 
big four firms or just big firms, you know, bigger than yourselves and thinking maybe I want to join a smaller firm. What are some of the things they should consider in, I guess, both in terms of finding the right place for them, but also how it may be different? I don't know. Maybe that's easier to answer or maybe it's easier to say, what have some of your hires struggled with or had to adapt to in going from a, a bigger firm to one, you know, at one point it was just the four of you and you hired mm. one person or 10 of you, you know, did, what what challenges would you say people have had to adapt to or what should people be mindful of before they make that jump? I think that I guess there's a, a generic way I can answer that question for someone considering leaving a, leaving a larger consultancy and what are their options and then specifically how I might counsel them if they were looking to to join our business i think i've got lots of views on this topic <laughs> um so to to try and keep it in a space that might might vaguely hold the interest of, of your listeners i think you've lots of organizations talk about providing at that stretching environment and and everybody will come into an interview and say i push myself i always want to work on the on this exciting thing i go the extra mile and i want to learn every day and you just get used to the patter, but actually what you find is not everybody truly means that. Yeah. And and certainly speaking for ourselves, because of everything I was saying about what, what we're trying to enshrine in the whole culture of the organization around achievement and, and, and progression and, and boldness and, uh, and those great stories that we want to tell, it compels individuals to, to really live and breathe that, that mentality every day. And, that isn't for everybody, actually. You know, we're asking people to be to give everything to their clients and then play a really substantive role in addition to that in helping us to build the business because there's always an infinite number of ways that we, we want to do that at any given time. Now, for some people, that is exactly what they're looking for and they will really thrive in an environment like ours. And other people will say that and then they're in it and there's kind of no hiding place and they, and they realize it's not for them. And other people might come to that self-realization, you know, before, before joining. And so as ever, it's always, if I'm speaking to that individual, you've got to weigh up everything that's important to you in your life and, you know, what stage of your career you're at and keeping all of those things in balance. But um, for certain individuals that really have never experienced that kind of environment and, and a set of peers and colleagues who, who are also true to that, yeah, you know, working somewhere like environments like ours could just be a game changer for people's careers, you know, when you're exposed to that for however long you stay in it. I want to come back actually to the point you were making around the fundamental philosophy of, of the ripple. And what I took from that is small teams that make a big impact through a, you know, through that ripple effect, sort of rippling out and what they do, having that ripple impact across an organization. Yeah. I'm, I'm really interested as you sort of in the early days were, were beginning to scale, how you maintained true to that and how you balance that with the potential tension to simply grow the business. We've all heard the old land and expand sort of cliche. How did you make sure you tempered that? Maybe you didn't need to, maybe you did, I don't know. But how did you ensure that you balanced the want and drive for growth with maintaining that effective team size for your your aspiration from a cultural perspective? Mm. Yeah, again, there's quite a lot of parts to that. Um, <laughs> I mean, to be honest, a, a certain amount of, of that is necessity, right? You're a, <laughs> you're, you're, you're a band of, of eight to 10 people, so there's only so many teams we can deploy. I mean, I think 
I agree with your point. The, the ripple effect essence that we were trying to capture and what we were doing is fundamentally the antithesis of the land and expand type model. And I guess, you know, the heart of it is, is a real belief and helping clients to believe that they can deliver change for themselves. And every organization needs to have that capability as, as a competitive advantage now. So if, if your client believes that and that's what you believe and you're there as that additive element, you know, and that multiplier effect to provide really high energy for a discrete period of time to, to create that momentum or create that sea change in, in what that organization is trying to do. That is exactly the opposite of what the land and expand model is, which is let's try and overstay my welcome. Let's try and overcomplicate things as much as possible to justify our existence. That fundamentally isn't how we work. So um, a lot of it came for us through uh, expansion of client teams. So relatively early on, we were fortunate enough that we'd, we'd secured projects across, you know, four or five clients within our first few months that's quite a hard thing to do or it's an unusual thing to do as a, as a very new business. You tend to build a sort of critical mass in, in one or two organizations. Certainly that was more akin to the Morehouse experience. So absolutely about replicating those teams of one, two, three people. Often, you know, we had many accounts that were, were singleton engagements, not necessarily ideal, but one person can still with the right, embedded in the right client team, absolutely achieve the same outcome. Yeah, around around that ripple, but more typically twos, threes, and then finishing an, an assignment, but the ripple continues, and you know, helping to sustain, embed, optimize, maximize, you know, the, the changes that you've turning a new capability into into the into results, or then ask, being asked to come and work on the next more difficult change initiative, and you build start that, that momentum again. Yeah, yeah. I think I saw. Is it ninety? I think I saw on your website, 90%, 94% of your clients are repeat business. You've, you've sort of got a very good track record of, like you say, delivering, being invited to the next biggest challenging project, the next poison chalice, if you like. Mm, exactly. Yeah, I don't, know, I don't know what the statistics are exactly, but but certainly our clients are, are, are far better advertisers, I suppose, but, but, but far better vocalizers of the difference in working with an organization like ours than than any other consultancy. So it stands to reason that most of most of our sort of repeated business or new sales will on some level have come from a from a referral from someone who's had an experience of working alongside our team. Yeah. No, it's it's really good to hear. And I keeping with the the theme of growing the firm, I mean one thing that you know, going back to, to how I first came across yourselves, I, I remember looking at your website and what I think prompted me to actually get in touch with yourself was you'd recently won an award. I think it was the Startup Top 100 at the time. And I know sort of since then, you've won a lot of awards. I think my my last count on your website, scrolling through with my finger, was <laughs> I think you've won or been finalist in about 20, 21 awards, if you include the, the MCA ones that you're up for now. I mean, that's obviously a great marker for you, but I'm really interested in that element. Is it a is it a strategic approach for yourselves? Is it sort of a deliberate strategy for the business? Is it just a very fortunate coincidence? I don't know if you can sort of share a bit more on that. 
I think at this point your listeners are thinking we're the, we're the wedding crashers of the uh, consulting industry awards space. <laughs> um, we're just in it for the, for the glory and we, we don't do much else. Um, it, it's obviously not the be all and end all, but, but yeah. yes, it's, yes, it's deliberate. You know, it is conscious. I think, you know, read any theory on, on laws of diffusion of innovation or, you know, new, new, new products and services bar the very few, complete outlier mavericks, you know, and, and, and early adopters, you only really get traction with your, with your service among people that, that seek a, seek a reference point and a validation from, from third parties. So in that respect, it, we see it as an absolute necessity and because there's relatively few barriers to entry as, as a new consultancy, just by, by virtue of consciously putting time and effort into those things, you're doing something that others are not doing. So yeah. there's a bit of, competitive edge from from doing that so it's been it's been deliberate but you have to be very judicious about what value you're trying to achieve from any specific award and you know not having this disproportionate effort or distraction from the value you might get if you are successful so that's always a debate as well yeah but, and then so i think that's the kind of you know the rational the rational piece of it and then you know the, the other side of it is just recognition when we're successful or you know we're there as finalists from from uh, at an event you know it's fantastic for our team and often clients are there too you know sharing sharing those moments with us you know it's their success as well and um, don't get me wrong we've had a few a few a few evenings that we'll never get back you know with with no end result <laughs> and uh, definitely had to kiss a few frogs along the way but um uh yeah some great moments as well and i think you know i think the final one is 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 a personal one and you just triggered a recall with me around the startups 100 you know definitely definitely one of the moments i remember because that was that was our first serious award i'd say and uh, that was one we went for completely on a whim would have been you know we sort of business tied together with string at the time we thought we'll just punt it in this form and if we're really lucky we might scrape into 99 on the list <laughs> and we'll get some free marketing out of it and it's all good and um, I remember the day the results came out and a bit of quirk of their website. This is the, the Startups 100. It's a serious list, by the way. Um, when they, <laughs> when they, the day they publish it every year, that they the way their website works is the, the sort of default page is is number 100. So you can't see all the winners on, on a page uh, and it doesn't start at the, at the top. So you literally have to scroll through, you know, 100, 99, 98 and, and, and work your way through. So, so it's sort of like top of the pops. You were a little bit where you came in. Yeah, a little bit. And, um, and getting more excited as you didn't come up. I we imagine. had sort of no idea. And well, no, quite the opposite. So I sort of rapidly went through the first 50 and. Oh, you didn't know you'd won it. You didn't know you were in it at all. No, no, no. This was, this was the unveil. So ah. they say the list is out. Go and check it out. So. I'd sort of, it was my idea. So I, I think I was the only one subscribed. So none of the rest of the guys <laughs> knew this was happening on this day. And um, so I got, you know, I got through the nineties and the eighties and the seventies and nothing's happened. I'm going, okay, well, obviously it's, it's not happened for us, you know, maybe next year kind of thing. It was, it was, it was wishful thinking maybe, but then, you know, sheer kind of torture. You And it's interesting, right? Which, which businesses have made it. You, I, I saw it through to the bitter end and, um, you know, there we were popped up at number 17 and uh, just one of those that complete wow moments for me, you know, only for me, I guess. And, and uh, <laughs> you know, I sort of immediately ran and found, found the guys and, uh, and I was just, you know, always wanting to, to sort of scream it from the rooftops. It was such a, such a big moment for, for us, you know, in terms of that, that first meaningful recognition of what we were doing, you know, even so early on 
yeah. in our journey already achieving that. And I think we pretty held our position more or less there for for the three years we were eligible, you know, sort of um, top UK's professional services business. And and now the awards have gravitated much more to what we do, not just being a new business, which, you know, is is, is right and proper and, you know, a source of great pride. So, yeah, uh, kind of before I veer too much off topic, it's definitely a deliberate strategy and uh, and it is something that we've we've enjoyed a lot of success, but we'll never get... You know, we'll never get too 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 inflated egos about it. Um, great recognition, but it's it's only obviously one one doesn't mean anything in its own right. Yeah, I think like you you said around the awards evenings, a, a nice chance to give both your team and clients recognition and sort of build networks with them as well. I'm interested. Are there any other benefits that you've sort of found out of it that maybe you didn't expect going into these awards? You know, through your awards, has it opened doors that? previously had been shut or I don't know if anyone else like me has found you because of your award entries. Maybe. I mean, the, the, nothing springs to mind yeah. going, well, because we were at that award dinner, we met so-and-so and that led to, you know, the next thing. And and I, I don't want to create an impression. You get this yeah. virtuous circle out of, you know, the events themselves, but absolutely the fact that we can, you know, refer to some of these awards in, you know, in pitches and in our collateral and um, provide first-hand references of the clients that stood next to us on the podium and, the, you know, those kind of things. Yeah. Of course, that that has a, um, a direct and indirect benefit in, um, you know, in our marketing and, and uh, kudos. I'm interested, you obviously, like you said, were quite involved and senior in Morehouse in terms of running the business. Was there anything that you thought about running your own firm that, Actually, now you're running Gate One has been either sort of completely different or exactly, well, actually, no, completely different to what you imagined it. Mm. I mentioned briefly at the start that I, very early in my consulting career, I I did a stint working to the managing partner of Deloitte, um, David Owen, who, um, which was a fa- fantastic role and you know fantastic individual to learn from. So, quite early on, I was privy to some of the sort of inner sanctum conversations in the partner group at, at Deloitte and you know got a very privileged first hand vantage point on on some of those things early on you know well before Morehouse days so I th- I'd like to think I had an early appreciation of the fundamentals yeah um but it's interesting you mentioned Dom I mean certainly he and I enjoyed a, a fair amount of, of sparring and and he would have taken you know a reasonable amount of challenge from me over the years when my bright ideas for the things we should be doing and uh, you know fantastic fantastic leader and, and credit to him that he created the environment where we did have that open debate and dialogue and hopefully at least some of it was was welcomed but certainly I think that that's the biggest difference for me now sitting you know figuratively in in his shoes of course you see a much broader bigger more complex picture of of all of the factors that you're you're trying to keep in in you know that, that eternal elusive search for for some degree of equilibrium in in all of the different factors that you're trading off and clearly previously i would have been speaking purely from my perspective as an engagement manager or a a sector lead or you know an account lead or or whatever it might have been and not fully appreciative of just that the the full dynamic of of running an organization and i think then when you start to unpack that and you you think for a moment about what it's like to run a business which is fundamentally what is a people business but not only that people who are 
incredibly bright. You hire them because they're full of ideas, because they're open about sharing those views, because they have something to contribute. We are really clear that this is a this is a business that everyone owns, everyone has a stake in, everyone is shaping. So the flip side of that is you have a plethora of opinion and views that you're you're trying to juggle and balance and, and, yeah. and give enough oxygen to the debate all of the time. In some ways, it'll be much easier to, to, to be an autocrat, but um, that's where the real magic comes from as well. Um, and I think you realise when you're running a business and you realise the stake in you that, that people are making and you know, investing their investing their careers with you and investing you know at, at least the next chapter of their professional journeys with you when they have huge ambition and, and huge volume of ideas for, for how to change your business. Yeah. Um, and you're, and you're, you're absolutely compelled to, to, to listen for that to be a joint endeavor. So I think just my, and then going full circle, you know, I can, I, I, I retrospectively view some of those early partner conversations I heard, you know, in a slightly different light as well. So it's all been progressive, but, but certainly my awareness and, and understanding of, of really what it takes to, keep all of those things in balance and you're making decisions on a daily basis that of course are going to impact people's lives. That's a completely different level of responsibility to anything I'd, I'd had before this, uh, this experience. Being on the other side of the table, I mean, you mentioned sort of having to have that awareness so that are there any other skills that over the, the time that you've been, been running Gate One, you, you found that you really had to develop or, or hone further. Like you say, now you're, now you're on the other side of that conversation. There's a few buckets there, I guess. So I was used to running big projects, used to running, say, accounts of multiple projects, but the accountability, I guess, is on a different level. And that takes some adjustment. It's not just what I'm personally doing on a day-to-day basis, but everybody in the team, you know, ultimately the advice we're providing to our clients and the work that we are delivering on a day-to-day basis, you know, I'm accountable to that work. And of course we aspire to be working on the hardest, most ambiguous, most complex kind of you know, business critical pro- projects that our clients entrust us with. So if you add together the subject matter with, with that accountability, you know, that's definitely been uh, something of a step change for me personally that, um, that you, you've got to find your feet with. Um, and, and of course, as the business grows, so that grows as well. I think you're always trying to develop uh, as a leader, you know, so put aside the fact we own the business, we're asking people to grow and 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 stretch and uh, continually put themselves out of their comfort zone to achieve things personally and achieve things for their clients. You know, so it's crucially important that you know we're authentic to that, we're role modelling that, and we're on our own personal journeys of development. So certainly in the leadership space, trying to understand what it really takes to bring the best out of your team and help others to fulfill their potential and be really vested in the team's performance is something I spend a lot of my time thinking about, reading about, making interventions internally and adjustments to continue, continue to provide the best conditions for the team in that respect. So that and you, is- you mentioned reading. Are there any books that sort of stuck out for you on this or any other resources that have really helped? So we do have a reading list. <laughs> um, it's kind of in, you know in, in our sort of day one material. Like here's here's our best possible view of uh, you know the I don't know fifteen twenty most important texts that not necessarily that we think are the the, the the best business books out there, of course, but 
have played the biggest role in sort of shaping our thinking yeah. or that we've used as specific reference points along along the journey you know, okay. that was opposite to that to that moment in time. You know, it's taking it back to the fundamentals, you know, and I know this was something again from Morehouse days, but, you know, the David Maester book on the professional services firm, you know, absolutely seminal um, text. Uh, and then we'll have some of the classic uh, writers, you know, Simon Sinek, you know, is well read uh, with us. Uh, Carol Dweck around the growth mindset is, you know, is really fundamental. Uh, can kind of bring that to life a bit later, maybe. Lots of books about entrepreneurship. I recommend lots of Seth Godin's books to, to people. I constructed a whole event around his Icarus Deception uh, book. Oh, one, I remember you recommending point. that to me as well. Yeah, yeah. a bit Marmite, as it turned out, with some of the team. <laughs> but um, for, for, for me, really, really resonated. And latterly, you know, really trying to stimulate thinking in the team around sort of personal performance and coaching. So I'll refer the team a lot to, to the likes of David Rock, you know, and, and other others of his peers in, in, in that space. Okay. It, uh, I don't know if you have the list. I don't know if you can share the list with me. I can share it with my listeners or if it, I don't know if it's on your website for internal um, colleagues. If it's possible to share that, that'd be fantastic. Yeah, um, certainly. Well, um, well, we can figure out a way after this because, um, yeah, it sounds like all of the books that you've recommended, I'll put in the show notes. It sounds like there's quite a few more as well. Happy to. Yeah. Fantastic. And Sort of on a similar theme, you know, those are obviously some of the the skills you've developed and some of the beliefs you had that when you got onto the other side of the table, you, you saw from a different context. What's been for you the most challenging part of the the journey with Gate One so so far and building Gate One, and how did you overcome that? That's an interesting question. When you're you're trying to overcome, I guess, micro problems every day, kind of, yeah. kind of pinpoint, you know, a a thing or a moment or or a period, but. I guess I've touched on one, definitely that um, germination period. Yeah. You know, I honestly don't think there will ever be a more challenging period, or and I don't think anything can happen to us now that won't test us more than we were tested in those early days. Which you know, of course, steals you for for, for anything there is to come. But but certainly the robustness of the conversations we had as as a sort of founding team in that in that time, you know, it was was uncomfortable and. Um, that I think that stood us in really good stead since actually. So that's, that was definitely, um, you know, hugely formative. If I think back, you know, since we've been trading over the last few years, kind of what, what would be the the biggest challenge that we've overcome? It's, it would probably be our difficult year four. Okay. So um, three years of pretty steady, successful growth. You know, we, we relatively quickly hit that 40 to 50 person firm mark, which is just by its nature uh, a challenging inflection point to navigate. So that tends to be the classic period where you're having to make decisions as a business to get to the next level that require a lot more to be devolved beyond beyond the founding team, um, more professionalization around your operations, and a maturity around the work that you do and your brand and all of those things that tend to coalesce, you know, in that in that moment. And um so that's never easy, and for all of our ability to anticipate those those things coming, of course, of course, that's um, you've got to find your way with that. And then we had the added compound challenge that just going into that period, you know, we we hit this uh, relatively minor market event called Brexit, uh, which happened just before then a summer period. So we got that kind of perfect storm of classic 
internal structural challenge meets huge disruptive event in in the marketplace um and you know we're really forced then to to confront you know difficult period for the you know really for the first time and um of course many of us have been through some of these cycles more than once if you can call brexit a cycle um but many of our team it was you know really the first time they were facing into that degree of 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 uncertainty so now coming out the other side of that you know i'm pleased to say we're absolutely a a, a fitter business we still grew during that period you know by the way too which was which was um no mean feat but more importantly the experience that we got sort of facing into that adversity and and working through that and rethinking some aspects adjusting others refocusing reprioritizing you know huge amounts of graft from many many people in the team and ultimately sort of continuing to deliver great work yeah. you know as, as the ultimate way to kind of defend your territory has now really what largely contributed to the fact that we're you know we're, we're back on a, on a really healthy growth trajectory but much better forearms to, to 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 break through to the next level we hope for for having been through that experience and you know the stories that we can tell for having done that and the work that we've now won out the other side of that and a sort of rebalancing of of our account mix and the team mix and you know some parts of the business have sort of fundamentally shifted over that period and, and others you know much more evolved so um Definitely working our way through that was was hugely testing. But. Yeah, but it sounds like it gave you the foundations, as you say, that inflection points around the 50 mark got you to that scale and potentially by virtue of the situation economically or by just virtue of the size, you needed to change. And it sounds like that situation and that adversity helped you shore up the business for the next growth phase. Uh, absolutely. And I think you know, we probably need the benefit of a lot more hindsight to, to really kind of unpick it. But we, yeah. we were definitely guilty of telling that classic you know external narrative of why things aren't working yeah you know and you know don't want to downplay some of the very very significant sort of disruptive challenges that were happening in the market at that time or still are happening but if you look a little deeper you know there were some some things internally that we had not paid enough attention to our account mix was shifting some of you know our our, our programs were watching a, a period of maturation you know potentially um, you know, we weren't keeping them as fresh as we, we we might have. So we absolutely got through it by by facing into it and you know w- working through multifaceted set of interventions. That's the, yeah, definitely we're a fitter business, much better equipped to continue to adapt to what I think uncertainty is you know much more the norm now. But certainly going into the next cycle, um, we, we have huge huge amounts more confidence um, that we would navigate it better than the average consultancy and fantastic and it's great to hear that like you say that whatever caused it having that period has helped you get ready for that next phase and be able to navigate it i want to come back to to what we were talking around uh really to give some advice back to my listeners who are in say the junior grades um looking at you know at the moment at least staying in for in a firm climbing climbing the ladder we we talked about what advice you'd give to people who are looking to move from, say, a bigger to a smaller firm. I'm interested for people specifically in, well, we'll say, you know, in Gate One who you work with day to day, what mistakes do you see junior colleagues making that potentially hold them back from climbing the career ladder in consulting? 
Mm. I guess I you know, to answer that question or, or what that question is getting at is kind of what, what do you put at the door of, of, of the individual? What separates the people who, who I don't see climb? And I guess I put it down much more to context and environment. And of course, in any case, our assessment of, of success is all is all subjective anyway, right? Yeah. But um, for me, the, there's that huge degree of impatience that you find, as, as I say, as, as a factor of the environments you tend to find in the bigger organizations. And it's, it's a symptom of their business model. It's a symptom of their, of their structure, you know, this, the inherent pyramid structure of those organizations compels you to pitch peer against peer, you know, right from early days. And that's what gives rise to this sort of shouty culture, um, which can stray into, you know, into, into some undesirable behaviors. Um, You know, the sharp elbows are out, I've got to get ahead of my peer group. I've got to, I've got to stand apart. And and when that mentality starts to infuse everything that you're doing, you know, often subconsciously, then it gets in the way of, of really experiencing what the best learning experiences to, to hone your, hone your craft and skill as a consultant. So I guess if I was to turn that into a piece of advice, it would, would boil down to just be patient and yeah. don't go after things. So I would absolutely encourage people to, to say yes to everything, by which I mean take whatever opportunities are offered to you as it comes. Don't don't expect you're going to have a huge degree of influence over the kind of projects that you get or where you work and what you might perceive to be your perfect career experience may in fact be the opposite, you know, and vice versa. You know, you truly don't know until you're on site yeah. you know, working with your client team, working with your, you know, with your, your fellow consultants, what's the job we've got to do here. Um, and certainly in my own experience of some of the most formative, valuable consulting experiences I had were, were the ones that appeared externally to be n- not what I was looking for or not what I thought I should be looking for. Yeah, definitely. So I think the kind of the counterintuitive answer to your question is almost don't think about your career progression. Don't put that first. Yeah. Put you know, where can I really get the learning here? What's going to add most value to my long term, you know, career journey? Career. Yeah, and one of uh, one of my early mentors, no, the senior partner of my old firm, said said exactly that. The uh, the best projects he ever worked on were the ones that, on the face of it, he was least excited about or really didn't think he would enjoy. So no, no, I, th- I think that's really good advice. And the answer to this one might just be people who follow that advice. But what is it that separates the great from the good for you? What is it that the best do that that the rest don't? As ever, it's really hard to say it's just this one thing. Of course. I think certainly our industry, it would be fair to say, is characterized by a disproportionately high degree of, of ego. You know, people paid significant sums of money for their for their expertise and their opinion keeping that in check with the right degree of humility and sense of what's really important is the results we can achieve on this project for this client. That's what matters, not my personal contribution to that or my name in light or my article that I'm going to go and write off the back of this or my promotion that I'm going to achieve. So it might sound like something very, very simplistic, but if I could boil it down to one thing, I think it's 
those that that really put themselves truly in service of their clients every single day they are there with no preconceptions about the value they're going to add or are compelled to add yeah. but, but really lean on their their diverse experience to solve a particular problem um and you know really really put the client first in in that regard but do that again and again and again and again and again and of course if you do that well your your personal success will follow yeah but it has to be that way around yeah that, and again i think it, it's really good advice the put the client first in that that selfless way and trust that you you will get recognized for your contribution you know people will begin to see yeah simon's the sort of guy who who works like that he is someone who we need to hold on to and promote if that's your goal or you know just sort of he is he is one of our good you know good consultants so i think i think it's really good advice yeah and i, and I totally recognize as well it's far easier for me to say that than it is to practice and we've all worked in organizations where the behaviors we perceive to be you know quote wrong are those that are quote rewarded um, how do you do that here how do you how do you make sure that you keep that recognition for people doing the you know doing the do well and stop some of those behaviors you highlight creeping in i think again that's not that's not a question about how do you do promotion how do you do mm. internal awards and those kind of things it's more about what are the things that you're doing every day to give people the opportunity so implicitly putting that trust in them and, and their abilities and, and 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 their skill um and you know taking the time out on a regular basis to to really reinforce what what a great job they're doing so of course i i can also tell you about how we've really carefully constructed our incentives and our remuneration in such a way that that's really transparent it's really um egalitarian it's really meritocratic and all of that good stuff you know genuinely spent a huge amount of time um thinking about that and and designing it and talking to the team about you know, about how that, how those constructs should work. But I think, you know, from the perspective of, of us as leaders of the organization, it's much more about those day-to-day behaviors and reinforcements, you know, and, and, you know, we can always get better at that too, but um, um, that's the far greater part of um, helping people to progress. I want to come on to, it's probably actually one of the things that when I was first looking at your website, attracted me to, to go, well, I, as you know, I was looking at doing another business venture, which i did run for a year, sadly didn't work out. But one of the things that you obviously did run and still do is is the Gate One Incubator, which seems at least to me to be something very different. You know, it is can you explain a bit about what it is and why you set it up and the benefits to, to both yourselves and well and, and I guess your clients, your staff? Yeah, yeah, sure. So it does take a little bit of explaining as well. <laughs> I, I get that. So I mean in many ways we we landed on what's quite an accidental business model. So kind of going back to those early conversations with the founder group, there were there were some differences of opinion between we should definitely form another consultancy because that's what we're best at or potentially the only thing we're good at. <laughs> um, others were more, well, I've got all these other business ideas, but love to do it with you guys, but why don't we do some consultancy, you know, build up some investment capital and do that instead time for a change so so actually in many ways kind of landing on this model that we'll have a core consulting organization with this incubator construct adjacent to that was 
was a bit of a compromise. Yeah. Um, and I think we've, we've then by through that process landed at something which, you know, I think, I think we've really latched onto something that's is unique as you say, but more importantly, having bided our time then to start that arm of the organization until we'd really focus on getting the, the core consulting business up and running, we've had the opportunity to really refine again, open that dialogue with the team. Are we onto something with this concept or you know, frankly, do we need to be told that we're smoking something, you know, and, and really, um, really hone the, the, the concepts of what it, what it could be. But of course, we're only really going to truly test that when we put some business ideas into practice. So if I just explain why we think it's a good idea or kind of what, what the, what the concept was all about, really, I guess it goes back to if we're hiring high achieving individuals who've spent their careers working across all different companies and sectors on a daily basis, looking for ways to improve those, those organizations, those processes, those ways of working, then that's the mentality, the core mentality of an entrepreneur. We're bringing those people into an organization. They have generally a healthy risk appetite and joining an organization like ours. That's another key ingredient. And I think everybody's certainly most consultants that I know have a, a business idea inside them. You know, you clearly did and, and chose that path for, for a time and still doing lots of exciting things. So why not harness those things together and create a benign environment for taking some risks, putting those ideas into practice. But the real beauty of it comes that because we have that collective contribution and, and mindset around it, we don't fall into the trap like I've seen many entrepreneurs do of getting this myopic, undiluted focus on just one idea that they're going to make yeah. succeed at all costs, you know, some, sometimes often to the, to the detriment of taking a broader advice or not having access to it. You know, we really utilize not just the diverse experience of the team to put those around any business idea that we come up with, but it also brings that degree of objectivity, which is so crucial when it comes to progressing ideas to the next stage or, you know, making investment decisions. And, and that's another part of it actually is just providing an environment where our team can become the investors, the, the owners, you know, be truly, truly vested in, in those ideas. So just for those who maybe are less familiar with it, as you mentioned there a couple of times, you, you know, your team's involved. Yeah. yeah if, let's say I'm in your team. I have what I think is a great idea. How how does it then work? Do you know? Do, is do I come to the the firm and does everyone throw rocks at it, or does you know how how does it work? How do you bring that egalitarian collaborative approach to it? So we don't constrain the ideas. So it's a really core principle that you know back to this kind of the concept of limitless possibility. What we're, what we're trying to do, we don't we don't put any criteria around an idea going into the hopper. But it's really crucial that we don't just have this static you know list of. 10 things at any one time or, or as you know, this is probably where we started actually, and definitely something that we've, that we've honed. It's not a case that we do this annual jamboree dragon's den type thing, right? What's this year's idea that we're going to put through. It only really works if you've got that continual hopper funnel of ideas and you're continually moving things up and down that funnel in line with with trends in line with kind of appetite of individuals in, in the business to run with them. So unconstrained initially, but timing is really, really crucial. So we do do regular like hackathon accelerator type events for generation of the next 
the next wave of ideas and also to accelerate progression of some ideas that are in the hopper to take, take them to the next stage. Um, that's really successful. Um, and then we have um, a sort of light touch gated concept of kind of where any batch of ideas is at any one time in that hopper. And that is a way of providing, you know, low risk seed funding, you know, in early stages to do sort of rapid feasibility work or prototyping of, of whatever the idea is, kind of quickly bring it to a proof of concept type stage. And then the best ideas can progress to m- more material funding to take them to, to the next set of proof points. And ultimately it coalesces in uh, the, the big decision point, which of course has to be gate one, uh, which is really <laughs> the point of, of saying, are we going to take this idea that we've already iterated many, many times up to this up to this point, now we have a full business plan around this idea. We're seeking investment. We're going to incorporate this uh, this idea. We're going to put it into practice and really go for it. And that's the point that the team have the opportunity to, you know, put put their own hands in their pockets and um, and be that founder team of of that new business. So the whole uh, the whole of Gate One can invest in. One of your one of the ideas is that is that the the principle behind it? Yeah, so investment absolutely open to everybody in the team. First port of call, and then we'll do match funding from the organisation or from 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 the leadership team if it requires it to get to their sort of threshold funding target to um, um, to take it to to the, to the point of incorporation. Okay, so it, yeah, it, it sounds very collaborative, and you know, it sort of sounds like something that I think feels like a theme throughout the firm that sort of egalitarian approach getting everyone involved um yeah well i, I mean and i won't overplay the the whole team thing so it, it's absolutely something that's there and passively the whole team do play a role but within that even within our team we've got the whole spectrum of enthusiasm levels for for what the incubator's trying to do you know some people are completely immersed in it and spend you know huge amounts of their their marginal time working on specific ideas, either their own or someone else's, and genuinely would not have joined Gate One had we not had that construct as, as part of our offer and providing that additional set of um, you know professional experience than quote just a consulting organization. And other people in the team, you know, you know, bordering on kind of apathetic, you know, great that you do this, it's it's something you do here, but you know, really it's, it's, it's not the consulting me, side. Yeah. And and that's fine. And we provide opportunities for wherever wherever individuals are to play to play the role they want to play. And definitely this isn't something we're just doing for fun, you know, or doing for that kind of reflected quirkiness that uh, this is something we do that nobody else does. So, you know, firstly, absolutely it's serious ideas that we absolutely want to be successful with and hopefully to be financially successful too. But also we we know categorically that just that imbuing that spirit of entrepreneurship and creativity and anything's possible mentality through the incubator vehicle absolutely has corollary benefits for the consulting business in, in terms of the mindset that we, we take to our client work. So it, it's absolutely mutually reinforcing. And, and even though we can now point to a degree of success with with the incubators that have come come through it. There are still a great many people who think we're you know we're frankly <laughs> bonkers to be attempting both of these things in parallel. You know, uh, and I, I was going to ask about obviously your the, the latest business to go through it. Do you say it, Pinga Ping Pinga 
Ping is the latest, so I can tell you about our first foray too, if if, uh, Please. if that's of interest. Um, well, let me do that one first. So, as I, as I mentioned, we had we had some reasonable ideas about how the construct should work, but we absolutely needed to road test those principles with with, with an idea. So, contrary to what I was just saying, you know, we did do you know back back when you know a, a number of years ago our first effectively sort of dragon's den session and okay so who, who's got who's got an idea then and uh, who wants to volunteer something and we chose randomly this this idea that um uh, leanne and our team had, had come up with which was to to develop a, a product range around the acai berry acai berry um which is grown in the amazon um quite well known but much less well known at the time and Leanne's concept was that um, firstly, this food has these almost sort of magical health benefits to it. It's just almost unadulterated goodness um, and, and unknown here. Um, but go to the West Coast, America, East Coast, Australia. It's very well established and kind of part of the culture there. You know, acai bowls is, um, you know, very well established. So, but not in London. So we thought, well, sounds a bit crazy, but. It's inevitable it's going to happen. So yeah. why not, you know, why not be at the front of that curve? And a relatively simple idea was all about the, the the product and the product range and the recipes that we created. But, you know, through our first investment, we found ourselves running a, uh, running a cafe in Shoreditch, which was London's first dedicated acai berry bowl cafe, which we did for like a month. And use it as a laboratory to, to test all of all of our products, and you know, really hope that would be a springboard onto the yeah. the kind of classic journey to, to to get these these products into you know more mainstream retail. So that was that was the idea. Relatively low capital intensive to get going, so it lent itself well to our first our first idea that we took through the pipe, and fantastic fun. We had some we had some big successes. We got some some great media coverage and. Uh, you know, a real following among people who've been waiting for this thing to happen. Um, and inevitably, you know, some some other, you know, execution challenges that, that we had and, you know, could have got better, et cetera, et cetera. So we didn't have that real bounce and um, didn't turn to the overnight success, which there was a tiny fraction of a percentage chance it might have. So um, we, we kind of mothballed it after, you know, a few, few attempts at kind of what next and a number of ideas to kind of resuscitate or take it in a slightly different direction. But Ultimately, we, we decided to park it. We knew that it was mainly a question of timing. Yeah. And, I was going to say now, because yeah. I remember you obviously telling me about this idea a couple of years ago. They seem to be everywhere now, these, these acai berries. Totally. And uh, let's have a near suicidal moment on the <laughs> commute home the other day when uh, you know, Dave, my colleague, texted me and said, open page, whatever it was, of the standard. And um you know, there it was at the bottom of the page. This was only two weeks ago at the bottom of the standard um, delivery, making a killing out of uh, acai bowls. You know, it's in their top three um, wow. requested uh, products. They're going for an average of 19, 20 pounds a bowl. You know, people told us we were crazy for selling them for six, seven pounds at the time. And yeah, I, on the one hand, that was, uh, <laughs> that was really, really galling. Yeah. And, um, you know, I guess at the time, we didn't feel we could take on the education challenge of the market that's not quite ready mm. was the was the ultimate reason. And we told ourselves it was inevitable kind of half-heartedly. And, you know, here, here now, 
they, they have arrived, as you say. And that's also a huge affirmation of, of what we were trying to do. Yeah, you know, that, that could have been us, you know, and, and we did play a very small part in, in, you know, the arrival of, of that concept of that, of that product to, um, you know, to the UK. So it makes you think on the one hand, of course, many of our businesses may not succeed, but on the other hand, if you get the funnel right and the qualification right and the timing right and the execution right and those things that we would always back ourselves to do because of the way we run that model, why can't everyone potentially be, you know, the, the next big thing? So, of course, we'll land somewhere in the middle, but um, well, and it's, it's fun trying. Yeah, <laughs> and the, the private equity approach is you only need one big hitter out of 10 or 20 for, you know, for everyone who says mm. invested in that to to get much more than their money back. So, mm. so, so that... That was obviously the the first one that was a good good foray and probably before its time. Yeah. What's the what's the new one? So Pinger. What- yeah. So Pinger, completely different business model. We've kind of broken all of our own own rules around the amount of funding we're gonna we're gonna really need to to take this mainstream. But um, massively exciting. So I can't wait till you uh, have a podcast episode with with Mike, who's who who now runs <laughs> it. Our sort of consultant turned entrepreneur, who's who's been running that for the, for the last um, you know, year plus. So really different, unique idea, we think. Hard to explain, but... Um, Go on, have a go. It's, uh, so it's an app um, and it's, it's around social tasking. Okay. So imagine taking out your phone, loading up Pinger. There's something you need in that moment or there's a favor that if only someone could do for you. you so know. I don't know. I forgot to buy the other day. I forgot to buy tin tomatoes at the supermarket. Could be right, or it's not. I'm, I don't lead that exciting a life. I'm obviously just <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. This is obviously a common common dilemma for, for you, Lee. This is going to change your life. Um, so some of the use cases might be I don't know. I, I'm a new mum and I'm, I'm stuck at home. You know, I've got a sick sick baby and and we've run out of nappies or you know critical supplies. I, I just need someone to to bring it around to me. Yeah, I'm standing in a the world's longest bar queue and and I just want someone at the front of the queue to to get around in for me and and you know I'll, I'll put a premium on that or you know, but it's unconstrained, right? Within, <laughs> within a moral compass, right? Um, oh, so you can just yeah, it, you can put whatever you want, like you say, within reason. You can say what you need, whatever, as long as absolutely and and. Um, so it, it does solve a problem because there there isn't any way you can go to to do that at the moment. Not similar apps in that's in in that space are quite functional. If it's predefined, I want a cleaner or I want a carpenter and those kind of things that 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 need is met. But something that that really has that social purpose, which is what Ping is all about, it it does solve a problem. But it's as much about creating those social connections and people wanting to do good and, and, you know, tapping into their, uh, you know, in, into that benevolence community aspect, that is just as important. So it's kind of bringing those two things together. So there you are in your kitchen, you need your can of tin tomatoes, um, crisis. I feel like I should be at the bar <laughs> using, using that use case get, instead. Get Pinger out, broadcast that need to, to, to other users, to, to doers. So you're a tasker, broadcast that to doers in my immediate vicinity, somebody will accept the, um, um, the, the task. And then the two users have, there's this clever kind of bartering functionality of kind of meeting, meeting at a mutually agreed negotiable price for that task. And then all, you know, all the, the payments done in the background through the app and, and doer arrives at your door with, with tin, tin of tomatoes. 
Fantastic. It's uh, it sounds like a really interesting concept, and and like you say, there there's a lot of apps if you need a predefined service, cleaner, etc. And likewise, there's a lot of things that can get you anything you want in a day or you know, half a day. But if like your use case or mine, you know, I'm making my spaghetti bolognese, haven't got my tin tomatoes, or your your mother with her nappies. It sounds like a really yeah. It sounds like a a, a need that needs to be fulfilled in a really useful app for it. So that so yeah. that's now live. So that's been through the incubator, funded, now live. Yeah. So we've done our um, we've done our first pilot. So we went live. Um, there's, there's a lot of users. You know, mostly our sort of friends, family. You know, clear, hangers on. You know, the. In the in the southeast, as you'd imagine, but if I need actually... anything doing, I'll I'll come to the gate one office. Right? <laughs> De- definitely, <laughs> tomatoes on tap. Um, we um, we actually launched our pilot in Nottingham University. Okay, so we're kind of following the uh, Tinder approach of university saturation. So we started in Nottingham. So we actually our launch party was in one of Europe's biggest student nights. You know, we 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 dominated it, took took it over for the night. Everything was branded pinger, you know, balloons falling from the ceiling, the whole works. Awesome. Um to really um get a critical mass of, you know, users on campus in a in a controlled environment of people who are not time poor. Yeah. Um was kind of was kind of the concept. Um and, and that went well. Um, so we're getting the volume of, of, of transactions now and the, and the data through. We're understanding a lot more about the use cases, about price points, uh, behaviors. And so the next stage is is to continue that approach. So seven more uni launches on the way, so coming to a campus near you. And, um, and we're actually just now in our next funding round. So we're trying to put together a, a very sizable fundraise to take this to, to, to 12 more unis post that so absolutely building up a head of steam and um applaud it to to, to mike and, and jack who are the um you know the guys at the beating heart of it but um as we we're talking about you know a huge amount of people in our team have, have played a really a really key role and some of them sit on our on the board of that business many more of them uh, have been involved in testing and uh, and focus groups and um you know coordinating launches and, and all of that so it's doing all the things that we we really wanted it to yeah. in, in terms of creating that you know real spirit of you know we're doing this this is just enough people think this is crazy that that it could change the world yeah <laughs> kind definitely. of thing so who, who knows where next but it's it's actually it's actually happening and um, it's, it's something genuinely different it's something that absolutely is on a brand if you like for us in terms of what it's trying to achieve you know really making a change in, in society and and fulfilling that need but making those connections and you know we hope it goes on to 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 huge success brilliant well i'll put a link to pinger in the the show notes so my listeners can download it become doers and taskers and get me my and investors and and also so you're going um not not that this is an investment podcast but you're now actually you had your internal round you're going external so this is sort of it's a fully fledged business on its own in its own right now yeah, I mean that you know because of the success we've had, you know that the, and the amount of um, funding that's needed to, yeah. to scale, uh, you know we're absolutely looking now externally as well um, as as with with the team. So yeah, the window's closing. So um, <laughs> get get that in the show notes. F- fantastic, and I think it's you know like everything you've said about the incubator. It, this seems to be a really nice, almost sort of evidence that you do practice what you preach you know you had the values when you looked to set up the firm with your co-founders you wanted to be different there are elements you wanted in there 
the incubator was one of them and it's not just something you talk about doing you uh, i feel innovation is something that a lot of people talk about doing now it's you know it's what big data was three or four years ago it's really nice to see that you and your team are, are actually doing it living it and you've got the proof you know pinger is now out for its second funding round you can go to nottingham university or to your office and get tasks done you know, it's building rapidly and that I imagine has a great impact on the people in the firm who, like you said, the ones that do care about it. But I imagine there's also a knock on to those who maybe didn't join for the incubator, but can see you living those values as well. Mm. The last question, you've got three people in front of you. You've got one who's just starting their career in the industry. You've got one who is four to five years in. So let's say senior consultant level. And you've got one who is approaching it would be partner in a partnership might be a you know someone you'd be considering bringing onto your director board here so sort of a very senior principal for yourselves i'd just be interested if you had you could give each one one piece of advice what would it be uh, i think we talked about maybe the the individual at the early stages of their career but you know i think it's that it's that notion of patience over over rapid progress um and say yes to everything take it as it comes you know you don't know what the opportunities are until until you're in them just just be comfortable as long as you're learning be comfortable with with the the, the pace of progress of your of your career of course be ambitious but yeah you don't know all the answers don't get swept up in the the race up the pyramid that, that so many do take the benefit of the diversity of experience that you'll get in this sector that you know genuinely you'll, you'll get in few others yeah you know and, and i think that learning mentality and and ability to reflect on that longer arc of your career progression the the earlier you can take that perspective uh, the more successful you'll be if i'm speaking to someone who's four or five years in they've been a consultant for that length of time that's a really interesting point because you're really looking to make a, a choice at that at that moment and i think you're you're really choosing whether you're committing to this path in a in a in a big firm for all that means you've you've already cut your teeth got great experience under your belt or is that the time to to go into a line role and really deepen that expertise and and broaden it in in new areas because there's ex, ex really crucial experience you don't get in working working as a consultant or is that the time to you know to really specialize and move into an environment more like in gate one where you know you'll be perhaps a bigger fish in a smaller pond but you'll be really liberated to really create something perhaps in a way that you wouldn't be given the, the mandate to do if you were to, to stay where you are for the, for the next phase of your career so really make that choice deliberately you know and don't again don't just do it because yeah and i guess the partner one the prospective partner one is the most interesting of all because what I often see in individuals who get to that stage of their career is they've, especially if they've been in a big firm, they've invested so much of their life and their soul and, and made so many sacrifices to get to the cusp of that point. They almost feel the only way to make all of that worth it is by following through and kind of committing to that, to that partner journey. My counsel would be you know, almost like betting in poker that those chips are already down. Yeah. So you've got to evaluate that decision on its own merits. And, and how much do you really, really, really want to be a partner in a big firm, regardless of what's gone before? Um, so and I think- strip away that sunk cost bias of- 
exactly that. And I think, you know, that, that clouds judgment, you know, my opinion to, to, to a very large degree. And often individuals look at jumping off at that point through the lens of what am I giving up because I've come this far and it's within reach that I can, you know, I can ha- have all of the riches of a, of a partnership and, and do all the things I've wanted to do when I've looked at that, the partner group and, and not focus on the opportunity that's out there and actually trading tremendous experience those, that those individuals have and, and doing something different at that point can be the most exciting choice of all. So don't make that a resigned choice not to. Mm. And I think, I guess, then going full circle on the, the advice to certainly the individuals four or five years in or even someone starting at the beginning, it's definitely a question in the context of working in a big firm you should ask yourself as early as possible, which is how much do I really want to be a partner? Because so much of the business model of those firms is, is geared around that objective. If that's not what you want, then take the experience of, of those environments for what it is and then get different additive experience you know, elsewhere. And there's never been a more exciting time to, to make different choices than, than just staying in one, in one place. Besides which, when well, often when even if they are successful getting to a partnership at, at that point, you you find you just start at the bottom of the next ladder, and well, what do you know? It wasn't what it was cracked up to be in in the first place, and or either that, or I'm so bruised by the process of getting here, I'm now not sure I want it anymore, and I'm not I'm not as motivated as I thought I would be. So often, even after all of that sacrifice, you know, it it, it often doesn't feel worth it. So. Deliberate choices, I guess, will be my main message at, yeah. at, at every stage. Don't you know? Don't just get swept along or feel like you need to climb the ladder just because everyone else. Is. No, thank you for that advice. I, I think deliberate choices. I think, like you say, cuts across all of them. Of know where you are, what you're, what you're getting yourself in for at every stage, and don't just take what's gone before as the reason to do. You know, the next stage, whichever level you are, whatever size firm, whatever. Whatever your career may take you, like you mentioned, it might be that going out of consulting could be the better choice for you with those deliberate decisions. Uh, really good advice. Thank you. So I've I've really enjoyed this, Simon. It's been great to to catch up with you. Great to find out a lot about the Gate One story that I didn't know. Didn't realize I was the first person to, re- <laughs> to apply to the, the advert. You'll always have that mantle. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and, and I, you know, and obviously talk about what's gone since and uh, Pinger. I'll, I'll now be able to get my tin tomatoes. I'll go and download it straight away. Um, but like I say, thank you very much for your time. Uh, I've really enjoyed this and all the best for the rest of the week. Thanks, Nick. It's been an absolute pleasure and uh, all the best to your new venture too. Uh, every success. Cheers, Simon. I hope you enjoyed today's episode of the Climb in Consulting podcast. If you did, I would be very grateful if you could leave a review on iTunes, Stitcher, or your podcast platform of choice, whichever one you may be using. And please also share this with anyone that you think could benefit from hearing today's interview. If you want to get in touch or give me any feedback about the podcast, please feel free to drop me an email. It's nick at climbinconsulting.com and I look forward to hearing from you.